Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I am Greg. I'm doing great. How are you all doing today? Hopefully well. Uh, last week was was kind of an anomaly. You know, I was I was a little jostled by what we were talking about. So I, th- you know, I was a little off my game. I didn't have my game of the week picked out. I rushed it. You know, uh, didn't have uh, didn't have my pickup pile ready. Like it, you know, just had a lot of things. You know, just was kind of off my game a little bit. Uh, and that is not going to be the case today. We are back, and uh, I owe you guys a quality show today. So we got everything all set up. We have a listener question. Uh, we have our game of the week picked out. I have my pickup pile, which, as usual, is bigger than it probably should be. And we've got a couple different stories today. Not just one, but we've got a couple. Uh, we're going to talk about... Um, Microsoft at Mojang more specifically officially announcing the cancellation of their quote-unquote super-duper graphics pack for Minecraft. Uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, last week. Um, obviously, we did the story about the, um, you know, the politicians that were blaming video games. We also had an instance of Walmart taking down violent game displays and ESPN delaying an Apex Legends tournament highlights also because of the shooting. Uh, and then I've got a story uh, that I wasn't planning on talking about until I just caught it this morning, actually. Um, but it talks about deep-pocketed collectors are fueling a retro game gold rush. So we're going to talk about, you know, go a little bit more into my wheelhouse out of video game news, necessarily, and into uh, some video game collecting stuff. Uh, so we're going to talk about all of that. And uh, other than that, though, uh, right after I did the podcast last week, um, I did a little bit of retail therapy and actually went out and I bought a new Jeep. Uh, I've been looking at a new vehicle for a while. I had my car for 10 years. I bought a brand new, had it for 10 years and I actually still love my car. <laughs> I, I didn't really need something new, but I just kind of wanted it. And there were certain features I really wanted. Like I wanted better, you know, I wanted all the, the, the fancy stuff, you know, I wanted the, the digital radio stuff. I wanted the, um, the USB drive playing media. Like I wanted all that stuff, wanted the backup camera. I wanted all that sort of stuff. So I was looking into vehicles and I also realized I need to have something a little more practical, um, because I do want to start doing more outside the store. Like I want to start going to more, maybe more trade shows, more Midwest gaming convention type things around the U S. And if I do that, I not, and if I'm going to sell there, I have to haul stuff. I'm going to need something bigger than my car. And so I was like, I was looking at a few different things. I was looking actually at a few sports cars because I am, I, I do appreciate a good automobile, a good fast sports car. And I just couldn't bring myself to buy any of those. They were so impractical. I'd, I'd drive them for four months out of the year around here, park it for eight, just didn't seem to make sense. Um, so I decided, you know what, I'll get something practical. Now, practical doesn't mean boring. Uh, as I said in that tweet I put up last week, I actually uh, I got a, a, a 2019 Jeep Grand Cherokee and I got an Altitude. The Altitude is basically like this kind of trim package you can get on it. And so it's an all black Jeep with the black trim package. So the thing's murdered out. It's got the black rims. It looks really, really nice. There's still a few things I want to do to it still. Uh, I want to get some runners on the side and I, I want to... I've actually even thought about getting the, what do they call it? Like the the brush, like the, 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 the guard for the front. Um, but I don't know. I, well, I have to see, I have to see how, how ugly that would be, but I might, you know, just kind of like beef the whole thing up a little bit. 
and then uh, might tint the front windows a little bit more. But uh, other than that, uh, it, it's obviously it's a really awesome vehicle. Now I go through that stage for the next year or so where I'm just deathly paranoid anytime I park it anywhere. So I'm like at work, I'm parked like half a mile from the store in this dead end parking lot where nobody parks so that no one can ding my doors. And uh, yeah, and so <laughs> we're going to... Uh, you know, and we'll hope. And that first ding is going to hurt a lot. Uh, I remember when I got the first one on my Lancer, you just come out and you see this like little dent with some white paint smeared up and you're just, you're just like, come on, seriously, you know, and, and just people suck and, and, uh, parking lots are the worst. People get out of their cars. They ding you. They don't care. Little kids swing open a door right into your car, just smash into it. And it's like, ah, what do you do? I, I mean, even there was even a time, this was quite a few years ago. Cause I was working at the store by myself so probably five, six years ago. And like, I watched a lady pull up next to my car and like, I watched the kid get out and I saw the door kind of like hit my car, like not, not necessarily hit it, but I knew it was like, it must've hit it. It was that close. And I was way in my store, but I could see my car out in the parking lot. And so she was like, she like gets out, she looks at it. And then she like scurries her child into the car, closes the door. So I really quick open the door. I'm like, Hey, I'm like, that's my car. Did it leave a mark? And she just looks at it and goes, no, no mark. And she drives away. And I, I had customers in the store. I couldn't like go out and look at it. I was smart and I wrote her license plate number down because I was like, well, you know, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, because I just don't trust her, but I couldn't check it out. I go to check it out later. Straight up. There's just a big dent in the door where the door hit. It's like, I mean, she, I don't know. I guess I'm looking at that. Like you could have just been honest. and been like, I'm sorry. There's just a little, a little ding. My boy opened up in the car door and I've been like, don't worry about it. I'm a really nice guy. Like I'm not out here trying to like scam off, you know, people who don't have a ton of money and they're wasting their kids and spend money on fixing someone else's car. But like. I don't know. It just shows to me, it showed a lack of respect for my property, you know? And then just, I worked at Bay park mall for many years before that. And so my car went through the ringer with dents and dings from just being in a parking lot. So if I look at it now, there's probably five to 10 little dingers around the whole thing that just, Oh, they piss me off, but I'm going to probably take them somewhere and just see what they can take out with just like the dent removal, like the, what they call the toolless dent removal. So they take like the suction cups to get every little thing out. They can take out the little marks, you know? stuff like that. So we'll see. But, uh, in any case though, the, the, the new Jeep is awesome. I've had about a week. Yeah, it'll be a week today and it's fantastic. I haven't driven my old car for a week, uh, but I'm kind of missing it. So I might actually take it out for a spin today. Uh, I got to get it cleaned up anyway. Cause I'm going to decide if I'm going to sell it or not yet. It's really weird. I'm having weird attachment issues to it. It's been my car for 10 years, bought it brand new. I don't know. I don't know. I should sell it. I don't really need it. But then like, uh, David's having a problem with his car. One of my employees, Dave, so I can loan him that car, you know? And so it's actually kind of neat to be like, Hey, I got an extra car. My friends need one. And it's actually a fun car to drive. Um, it's only worth probably about 8,000 right now. So I could sell it for 8,000 and that'd probably be fine. And I could use it obviously towards the Jeep. Um, but I don't know. I haven't decided. I do really like it, but it's not my end all be all sports car either. Right? So like if I was going to keep a car and be like, this is my car forever, it wouldn't be that car. <laughs> like it would be like, I don't know. I, I just gotta, I'm too materialistic, uh, which you would agree with if you were looking around my office right now with all my games. Uh, but I'm too materialistic. Uh, I need to, I need to probably let it go, but I just love it. I love that car and I've, I've had it for 10 years and it's just been a beast for me and it's been great. And there were really no problems at all. So yeah, anyway, I'll quit gabbing on about my car, but, um, yeah, so let's uh, let's get this shindig started. Uh, we're going to talk about, I think first we're going to go into this collecting one because it's just kind of fresh in my brain. So uh, here we go. So first up on the podcast today, I want to talk about the story I read by Chris Kohler on Kotaku. This came out Friday. 
Um, the headline was deep pocketed collectors are fueling a retro game gold rush. And so uh, right here in the beginning, this this knocked me out, but let's read it. Danielle Smith has spent half a million dollars on rare video games, most of it in the last nine months. <laughs> and she's just getting started. Quote, I really just want the best of the best, end quote, said Smith, who's 35. That half a million bucks has only bought her around 200 games. Last week, she spent $2,600 on a sealed copy of Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo. Smith, a comic dealer from Florida, is just one of many deep-pocketed collectors who have only recently started splashing out in earnest on games. Quote, comic book people and art people are coming in, and we want rare games that are hard to find. End quote, she said. So before I continue, let's stop. Put the brakes on right there. Half a million dollars in six months on 200 games. That's calculator time. <laughs> That's calculator time. <laughs> that means she's paying on average $2,500 per game. <laughs> so uh, I've done collecting um, stories on this channel before. And if you don't know, I own my own used video game store. I'm an avid collector. I have a ton of stuff in the room here. Um, I have expensive stuff. I have a, uh, I have a complete in box little Samson. I have a complete in box Earthbound. I have a complete in box uh, brand new, technically, um, Maximum Carnage Collector's Edition. So I have my heavy hitters. Um, but none of my collection is really sealed except for that Maximum Carnage. Uh, it's uh, I don't really... And again, I'm not criticizing people who like sealed games. I just personally don't. I, I want to know that if I wanted to, I could pop open that game and play that game at that time. So, um, yeah, so six months, half a million dollars. Now, that to me doesn't scream passionate gaming collector to me. That screams someone's jumping on what they think is the new, as Chris Kohler said in the article, the new gold rush. So they're not doing this necessarily to, uh, because they just really always love video games and decided, hey, I want to make sure I have the video games I love, it is coming down to, I think this is going to be the next boom in rare collectibles. So the article goes on to say, even longtime video game collectors like myself, talking about Chris Kohler, have been stunned at the news of late games that just a few years ago might have only sold for a few thousand dollars are quickly exploding into five and six figure valuations. Um, we had a Super Mario Brothers that sold for 30000 earlier uh, this year. Another one sold for 100000 that very first print. Remember, we talked about that on the show. Uh, it's not just the first Super Mario that's powered up in price. By now, you've probably heard the story of a sealed copy of NES Classic Kid Icarus that sold for $9,000. That was a couple weeks ago. I didn't talk about it because it, it's so wacky to me, um, especially since it's all so like interwoven with WADA and this grading and the auction company heritage auctions. It's so filthy. Like there's something going on there and like, it just, just feels like icky, you know? Um, uh, and I know, but however, besides that, I personally know of a copy which has not hit the news cycles because they did not want it to. I personally know of a copy of an NES game that was sealed that sold for $37,000 cash in the last couple uh, months. Um, I, I have personal experience with that. Uh, not through my store, but uh, I have personal uh, understanding of that situation, which is crazy to me, but it sold for that much. And, and that is 100% real, and that was not even WADA graded. That was not um, 
you know, that was not a heritage auction weird. Like the owner of the auction is the one who bought it and then was the one who knew a guy who was the friend of the person who had it. Like it wasn't like that, you know, this, this was just straight up. Someone had it, sold it. Someone paid that much for it. So this is a real thing. Um, so we have this like this weird sort of, I guess, according to uh, Danielle Smith, comic book people and art people coming into the video games uh, realm and, and buying them up. So they go on to say numerous sources speaking to Kotaku for this story have all said the same thing. The past two years have seen an influx of new money coming into the classic game collecting scene, primarily high-end collecting experts from other areas of interest like comic books, magic cards, and coins. They see video games as the next big thing, like a mint condition action comics issue one might be the ultimate trophy of nostalgia for the superhero age of the mid 20th century. So too might a sealed Mario be the perfect bottling of the pop culture moment of the 1980s. And these new collectors are ready to spend to get their hands on the best, rarest, mintiest copies because they've seen what happened in their own collecting fields when prices started to rise. Quote, I truly believe that we are on the brink of something really epic and incredible happening, said Smith, who says she's recently been selling off rare comics to fund more video game buys. End quote. Um, okay. So that's also, I think, uh, a mistake because, yes, while I don't necessarily disagree with this, that they will keep going up, what's only ones that are going to go up are mint in box and sealed. A lot of the junk, I mean, the junkier ones will too, like by default, people will pick them up just to have them. But this also needs more time to cook. Action Comics number one didn't come out in the 80s. Okay, it came out, well, and I unfortunately, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing the 50s or 60s. So someone can correct me on that. I'm not a big comic book collector. Uh, so that's 30 years older today than something like a video game is today. So now could we argue that in 2040, 2049, could Mario Brothers be as expensive as an action comics number one? Yeah, I think that's possible. Or people could bounce out of the market completely and all those values will crash back down to nothing. So it, it, who knows? That's really the thing. You don't know. Um, also a little different is like the idea that you have to vacuum seal some of that paper from the old days so that like the comic books don't yellow and they don't have issues. Like you want to kind of seal that up. Video games, though, sealing that up won't necessarily prevent any of the issues that some of these boards might have over time. Um, but again, I'm not going to be the one who criticizes people for like buying new games and then not playing them or old collectors that don't play games or aren't real collectors. Like I don't do that. I did a video. If y'all remember, uh, on the podcast, a few, well, it was probably a year ago where I said, about there's only one right way to collect and that's your way. However you want to collect video games is the right way. There's no wrong way to collect. In fact, it's part of the reason I love this hobby so much is I can collect a totally different way, talk to somebody who collects a different way, and we both respect each other's idea of what to collect. Even if it's somebody who's buying all the worst games they've ever heard of, well, I don't want to collect that way. I can respect that they do, and I don't care. It's it's funny to me, actually. It's it's fine. It's whatever. This feels a little different to me, though, and, and I don't want to criticize them for what they're doing, but it just seems like, one, it's it's causing this weird rise in price but the rise in price is typically only connected to mint and box and brand new games, mostly brand new. In fact, that's what Danielle Smith's talking about is she only collects brand new games, but man, $500,000 in six months. Like that seems like this weird obsession. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know what's, you know, that to me, that speed of doing it, 
that to me says that they're buying it in anticipation of prices skyrocketing. And then, so they're buying them all to, to sit on basically and to be worth more money in the future. Um, so I don't, here's a picture of her with all of her comics. Apparently she has, um, yeah, <laughs> action comics. Number one. I mean, I don't even know what that's worth. Uh, probably worth a ton. Um, so there's a few things though that, that did bother me a little further down uh, in this. So um, that's what Daniel Smith and others like her want. They want something that matches their comic collections, a small batch of games representing key moments in gaming in the best condition possible. A quote unquote sticker sealed early copy of Super Mario, a sealed Metroid, a first print Mike Tyson's punch out. Although she's been collecting comics for 15 years, Smith's personal collection only numbers around 90 books that even encased in their protective plastic slabs fit into three small boxes. She puts them in boxes? <laughs> but those boxes contain an Action Comics issue one, the first appearance of Superman that Smith estimates to be worth about $750,000. She's also got a Detective Comics 27, the first appearance of Batman. These books are extremely rare and valuable in any condition, but Super Mario Bros., Metroid, and Punch-Out! are some of the most common NES games out there. In this case, the condition drives the value. A loose copy of Metroid with no box is a $5 game, but a mint-sealed first-print copy is so difficult to find that its price would more like be five figures. Now, no, Metroid isn't actually a $5 game loose. It's closer to 10 or 15 but that's just me being nitpicky. Sorry. Um... But yes, I agree, though, that there are... So if you don't know why that one Super Mario Brothers sold for 100000 I talked about in the other story. There were basically different ways that Nintendo was sealing the boxes. And so this was one of the rare ones that had, like, a circle sticker that sealed it. And it was a hang tab five screw. So basically, that was one way to prove that it was the first batch launched in the United States. And so, yes, could you get an, a boxed copy of Super Mario Brothers much cheaper than that? Yes. But... This one was particularly special. So, yes, if you saw a first edition, the very first printing of Metroid, it would probably go for more than a, just a complete mint and box Metroid is the point they're trying to make. The, uh, she goes on to say, quote, someone said, you know, there's a lot of copies of that game, so you don't want to buy more than one. Smith said a collector told her at one point about Punch-Out! And they're like, there's 50 sealed copies. And my mind was kind of like, what the hell? Like, that's action one rarity, end quote. That I is just totally misguided. I don't know where she's coming up with that. Like, I mean, I don't know the print runs of Action Comics number one, but I guarantee it's less than Mike Tyson's Punch-Out on NES. And I understand that there's a difference between the first printing and the later printings, but this is just all kinds of weird. <laughs> this is just, it's just really strange how she's basically making up her own rules and trying to apply them to the market, you know, saying like, well, I think that Mike Tyson's Punch-Out is like Action Comic number one rarity, so... Yeah. And you're like, well, but it's not, I don't, it's very strange, very strange. And, and I know like some people are going to listen to this who are big time collectors probably. And they're going to say that I'm wrong. And I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I live and breathe this collector's market. I talk to collectors every single day. And so like, I do understand where people are coming from and I understand the type of collectors they are. And that's what this like sounds like to me. It just feels like, I don't know. It's so strange. It just feels like a disingenuine, like, like, like Chris Kohler said in the title, it's a gold rush. People see that there's money in this and they're jumping on it to try to do that, which, which inevitably then as these games get purchased a lot more, then the games start to go up in value again. So now you've got this weird, like the markets dictating the market, not any sort of other factors, except that people are buying it. So they're going to go up in value, but why are people buying it? Because it's going up in value. So it's a bubble that's eventually going to burst. 
Um, so the article goes on to say Joshua Enton, who's 43 and a lawyer from Fort Lauderdale, is another longtime Golden Age comic collector who's jumped into the deep end of the pool with video game collecting over the last two years. He got the collecting bug from his dad. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't really. Uh... Today, the younger Enton's comic collection includes many books valued in the five-figure range, and in the last two years, he spent about $75,000 buying up about 200 NES games, a sealed Zelda, a sealed Mario, etc., Enton first saw the appeal of collecting games when he saw a game that had been authenticated and graded by Dennis Kahn's company, Wada Games. Here we are. Which is the video game world, what the certified guaranteed company, better known as CGC, is for comics. I would disagree with that heavily. Um, Wada Games is not the video game world version of the CGC. Okay, let's back it up. Similar companies, like they do similar things, different motivations. Its panel of experts assesses collectible games, assigns them a numerical condition rating, and sells them in an attractive plastic display case. Uh, <laughs> quote, this is uh, Joshua Enton. Quote, I did, see, I did see one of their games in a prototype case, and I was blown away. It was sealed. It was nostalgic. I thought it presented incredibly well. And that's when Enton knew he wanted some of his games on his shelf. A switch went off, and I said to myself, I have to get in this. This is awesome. <laughs> so, end quote. So he saw what a video game looked like in a sealed acrylic case that was graded and said, I got to have those. Okay. Okay. I, whatever gets you into the, whatever gets you into it, I guess the high profile emergence of Wada games onto the scene last year seems to have been the inflection point that caused many comic collectors to get interested in games. See, and this is, this is what I'm talking about, right? So look at this, this sentence, the high profile emergence of Wada games onto the scene last year. So now they're now, if you've never listened to me before, I have kind of an irrational hatred of Wada Games, but due to me having a conversation with them at Wizard World a couple years ago and really having a completely negative interaction with the people that run the place. Um, them trying to make arguments and explain to me why their games are worth twice as much as they're selling for online just because they've got their case around it, right? And uh, and so... <laughs> So this sentence alone, though, is saying that because Wada Games burst onto the scene, which, again, Wada Games has connections to Heritage Auctions. We know that. Heritage Auctions just started getting into comic books. And also, like, it's this weird, again, it's this weird, like, incestuous relationship that seems like it just feels wrong. Like, these these companies are are, are bouncing off each other and, like, to me, creating bubbles in, in this market. And so uh, a similar service called Video Game Authority has been operating for over a decade. That's VGA graded. Um, that would be, if you asked me, that would be more the authority to CGC, even though I don't like VGA very much either. But WADA seems to be attracting new collectors in a way that VGA has not. WADA also shrewdly aligned itself with Heritage Auctions. Hey, they covered it in the article. The massive auction house that specializes in pop culture memorabilia. Heritage began putting WADA certified games into its listings and thus created more awareness of the trend. And artificially inflate everything by having a company not charge you to rate the games that you put on your auction so you can sell them for more. Uh, it's crazy. Um, they've made it easier for comic people because they use a similar grading scale, said Smith. It makes the crossover easier because a 9.4 is a 9.4 and a 9.2 is a 9.2, and it's easier for us to correlate that. Yeah, except it's not because that's still just one person's interpretation of that scale, and it's not the same person that works it. Like if CGC got into video game grading, you could make that argument, I think. But you can't because it's two totally different companies and two different, like, I, I don't know. It's it, what, are they, 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 what do they say up here? They said, uh, they said uh, something about, uh, where was it? 
um, a panel of experts assess collectible games and assigns a numerical game. A panel of experts. Uh, what what experts did you um, did you go to college for video game box art condition? Uh, did you did you intern at the video game box makers warehouse uh, to learn what a, a good condition? No, you're just people. You're just people looking at it going, hey, it's, it's a ten out of ten. Looks great. Fant oh, there's a little ding corner. It's nine point nine out of ten. That's how we're doing it. It's just come you know, again. I don't care that they do it. I just like to, they're somehow blowing this up into some big deal. Like, like they are the authority, and that's just not accurate. And I really wish that we would stop acting like they are, and people would stop treating them like they are. Um, okay, so uh, then the other thing I want to touch on this, like, there's some weird stuff in here. So this is also that. Uh, this is that. Uh, who is this? Um, Khan. Who's this guy? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, quote, I wouldn't be surprised that the next big thing is something like a Metroid movie or a Zelda movie, said Enten, in the way that the Superman or Batman films raise the cultural awareness of the original comics. Once that happens, I think it's going to take a lot of these to another level. See, they're buying these anticipation of being worth more money later. I mean, that, that, that's I guess that's the ultimate. Again, Gold Rush. Chris Kohler had the title right. Like, it is a Gold Rush for sure. Um, Khan sees the 8-bit NES era of the mid-80s as the parallel to the golden age of comics, the days of Superman and Batman, characters that have survived for nearly a century. There were comic books before Superman, and those early Platinum Age books are much rarer than even Action Comics number 1, but practically nobody's interested in them. So does the video game have its Platinum Age, the era of Atari. Some are extremely rare, but not necessarily very desirable. That's accurate. That's fair. NES is really like the launching point for a lot of people. Um... And obviously there are people out there. There's people with a whole bunch of money that want to spend it on video games. And I'm totally fine with that. I don't care. But it, it just feels disingenuous, I think, when that's the whole purpose. So you've got people who are comic book collectors, art collectors. And then they're saying, man, video games are going to be the next thing that's worth a whole bunch of money. So let's start buying into video games. And for the most part, they seem to be buying brand new ones. So if you're going to buy brand new video games, most video game collectors, I would say, on average, don't buy them. So you're fine. You know, like, I don't I don't think this is really going to destroy the value of anything that's personally important to me. But I felt this a little bit over the last few years because I do buy Mint and Box. So I was watching a Mint and Box game. You know, I was watching a, a used game that would normally go complete for 50 or 60 bucks go for 150 to 200 Mint. It's crazy, but it's, I mean, it's the world we live in. It, it is the, the, the market of the collection. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not criticizing them for that. I'm just saying it just feels like the wrong reasons to get into it. And I know I literally earlier in this video just said that there's no wrong way to collect. But I wish that they would just come out and say I'm collecting this because it's going to be worth a whole bunch of money one day. Not collecting it because like like they're not fans of the video games. They're fans of things that are worth more money. And I guess that's fine. And if video games end up becoming worth more money, that's a good thing. Now, a lot of people will say that to me in regards to my business, and they'll say things like, well, you know, aren't you excited for these games to go up in value so you can make more money? And I'll tell you that's not actually how it works. So I don't make more money when something's worth more money, usually. Um, usually, I have to take a higher risk on it, and I have to pay a lot more to get it. Like the little Samson that I sold for 2800 I paid like $2,400 for that game. So yes, arguably, I made $400 on that deal when I eventually sold it, well, I think 300 after I negotiated with the buyer. So, you know, there's that. Um, 
so $300 is more than I made off of like a $4 like NES game, I guess that I sold, but the amount of money that had to go out, the amount of time that sat in the shelf, all those sort of things, you know, like to me as, as a game store owner, it makes more sense to me to have everybody be able to get into the market, have everything be at that kind of mid-level price. NES games between 10 and $20 always sell the best more than anything because they're good games. Typically that's why they're over $10, but they're not into the stratosphere price wise. Once you push the average person out of the market, then you're losing the bulk of customers. I'm at the point, my store is at the point right now where we don't just rely on rare stuff sales. Like we have to, we sell everything. We have so much stuff now. Every day someone comes in, they'll buy PS2, Xbox, original stuff, and they're buying cheap stuff. And that's great because more people can buy video games, more customers coming in. I'd love to have like a whale come in every week and drop $10,000. So I wouldn't have to have like other customers, but that's not how it works. And even if your business relies on whales like that, one day that well will dry up or they won't come in one week because they decide to go buy a new yacht or something. And so then you're like, Oh, that's, I just lost out on that business. I'd rather have a hundred customers spending $10 each than one customer spending a thousand. If that's makes more sense to you. And so I guess in closing, this is something I guess we should have seen coming. Um, I still can't get over the fact that Danielle Smith spent half a million dollars in the last nine months. Um, I don't know. I, I, that's crazy to me. Uh, because what, what is your, like, what are you finding there? You know, like, is it just, to me, it sounds more like she's just reaching anything she can get her hands on. That's new sealed and like a great condition. That's probably graded. She's probably only buying graded stuff. She's just snatching it up which is fine because the one, you know, they mentioned how they don't buy everything. They just want to buy specific ones. They think are like, you know, iconic moments in video game history, but 209 months. I mean, Jesus, you know, it's, you'd almost think that like the price is just skyrocketing on the daily, you know, but again, uh, an interesting article. I still thought nonetheless, interesting article, deep pocketed collectors are feeling a retro game gold rush. Chris Kohler from Kotaku had the article, um, Interesting read. Check it out if you're into collecting. All right, so next up on the podcast today, we're going to talk about Minecraft, more specifically Mojang, announcing that the Super Duper Graphics Pack that they announced at E3 a few years ago is, quote, too technically demanding. Ouch. Two years later, the dream is dead, is the byline. This one stings a bit, even for people with only a passing interest in Minecraft. Two years after Mojang promised the Super Duper Graphics Pack, the developer has decided to move on, citing feasibility concerns. The eye-catching visual upgrade won't be coming to Xbox One X or anywhere else. The Super Duper, uh, excuse me, quote, Super Duper was an ambitious initiative that brought a new look to Minecraft, but unfortunately, the pack proved too technically demanding to implement as planned. Mojang wrote today in an announcement. We realize this is disappointing to some of you. There are a lot of enthusiasm for Super Duper from inside and outside the studio. But unfortunately, we aren't happy with how the pack performed across devices. For this reason, we're stopping development on the pack and looking into other ways for you to experience Minecraft with a new look. End quote. So before I get on to the other parts of the article, they announced this in 2017. And it was like, this was right after Microsoft had, had bought um, Minecraft or, or shortly after this was like the year after I think. And so it was, it was very quickly like, we want to show you what we're doing with the property. We're not just sitting on it, making a bunch of money. Like here's what we're doing. And they showed this now. I, I know if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see it, but it's a picture and it's just basically, it looks like realistic graphics. It's still voxel. So you're still, everything's still boxes, 
but it looked very realistic yet like almost unreal engine looking lighting effects the sun rising up over clouds and this really cool looking stuff and so it looked like a really cool idea but i guess it wasn't in my opinion ever necessary for minecraft i always thought kind of the charm of minecraft was it essentially it looked it was voxel you know but it, the textures were you know like these kind of like well they were high res but they were like you know sprite based so the game itself looked like a 3d sprite based video game which is what voxels are so it was kind of cool so when they announced this i, I thought oh that's kind of neat i guess no big deal two years later though um the issue seems to stem from it not just not working on xbox but not working well on the other devices other devices most likely being mobile um, maybe even 3DS, Switch, whatever they've put it on, it's got issues across the board. So I guess they don't want to just release it, say, just for Xbox One or just for PC. Now, if this is something that's really, really important to you, you can totally just download uh, mods that people have made. Uh, there's photorealism mods for Minecraft. They're all great. They work well. Um, I don't really know what Microsoft was trying to do here that they couldn't get working, but modders have done similar things and they work great, obviously depending on your computer. Um, the article goes on to say, from outside looking in, it seems like at least one of the concerns was with ongoing support of Minecraft, Minecraft across all devices and platforms and how the SuperDuper graphics pack might fit into those plans long term. Minecraft is everywhere these days and the team has been striving for consistency. For its part, Mojang did slip in a glimmer of hope for fans who want a better looking experience. Quote, Minecraft's available on a wide range of platforms and we're constantly trying to make the most of the technical architecture of each one. We'll be able to share more on that subject very soon, end quote. For now, at least, we'll have to have all the wild graphical showpieces to the modding scene. Never underestimate the impact of a good shader, even on the game as simple as Minecraft. So again, a pretty short article. Nothing too crazy, but, but disappointing. You know, especially when you had something that was such an idea, you launched it at E3 I mean, it does happen, but rarely do things make a big splash at E3 and never come to fruition, especially from a company like this. Because usually they have the resources to just keep going um, and to keep working at it until they achieve what they're trying to achieve. Here, there must have just been that cutoff point where they said, you know what, we just can't do it. And again, it looks like it's because of them. And, and also when they talk about across the board, they don't do updates for certain versions of the game anymore. The Xbox 360 and PS3 version no longer receive updates uh, content updates. So stuff like this, maybe they were saying, well, we don't want to have Minecraft look like this over here, but look like this over here. And so they want everything to be uniform across the board, which uh, seems kind of silly, I guess. Uh, I would think that, uh, that you'd want to just get this out. Um, but it's, it's unfortunate. I think it was something that was a really cool idea, but I also don't think it was necessary. Not saying it wouldn't have been fun, but you can do this with mods. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. And all this was, was, Microsoft themselves and Mojang more specifically just trying to offer that experience without having to mod it in. And I think that's okay. So it disappointing though, that something so hyped and announced so long ago is not coming to fruition. Um, but I'd rather them not release it than release it and have it be broken and terrible because that's just a bad PR move at that point. And that's sometimes just as bad. All right. So last up on the podcast today, we're going to continue on our story from last week, I guess. So we talked last week about um, the different politicians that were um, ignorantly blaming video games for the back-to-back -back mass shootings we had last week. 
Well, following suit with that, this was an article that came out on Friday from Kotaku. It actually had to correct an IGN article that came out earlier. But basically, Walmart were uh, had a memo go down to stores telling them to remove all violent video game displays and like live promos that might be playing on anything. So Walmart basically sent something down to the store saying, we, in the wake of this shooting, take down all this violent game stuff. So a little bit later, someone, and this is what's so funny about like IGN and other places that don't verify sources and they just like see a tweet and they retweet something, they have no backup of it. So a voice actor, um, what's his name? Uh, Eric Loden. He showed near empty game shelves at Walmart in a photo that he tweeted. And because of that speculation rose that the retailer was also removing violent games from sale, which is what IGN also reported. Um, this was the report they cited from Walmart quote, we've taken this action out of respect for the incidents of the past week, and it does not reflect a long term change in our video game assortment. We are focused on assisting our associates and their families, as well as supporting the community as we continue a thoughtful and thorough review of our policies End quote. So, um, originally it was just coming out that they were told to pull down the displays and to pull down imagery. Then the idea came out again. IGN reported that Walmart was pulling the video games themselves, which obviously sucks, if if true. Turned out not to be true, right? So IGN reported on it. Uh, someone tweeted a picture of a Walmart with a lot of shelves. And, and again, that's not saying that that Walmart didn't misread the memo. Maybe the memo came down and they thought, okay, so everything with a violent cover, and they pulled all the video games off the shelf thinking that's what they meant. But Walmart has stated they did not. Um, it should it should be noted also that while Walmart thought out of respect, it should take down the violent video game displays. It did continue to sell guns as a retailer. They never pulled guns off the shelf. Only the violent imagery that the video games were showing uh, in posters and on the boxes. So I'm assuming they pulled down like Borderlands three stuff, Call of Duty stuff. Maybe I, I don't I don't know. Very strange. Um, so. So that's kind of the two parts of this, right? Is that one, Walmart pulled all the displays. That's true. IGN reported they were pulling the games. That ended up not being true. But this is the sort of real world ramifications we have when something like this happens. And so um, I actually, I know this might sound weird. I actually don't have an issue with Walmart doing this. Um, I talked about this a little bit last night in the Dropcast. But basically... When, um, if you remember, there was a, a teaser trailer slash poster that came out for the original, well, for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie that came out in 2000 or 2001, and it was about to come out and they showed a picture of a helicopter that was webbed between the twin towers. And obviously once after September 11th happened, that imagery was all removed and they did that out of respect for the people that had loss and for trying to be sensitive to people that might be sensitive to that imagery after what happened. So that's totally fine. That happens all the time. And I think that's what Walmart was thinking was like, you know what, let's just take down any sort of violent game imagery, you know, out of sensitivity. Um, I think it's pretty misguided. Um, I don't have a problem with them doing it because it's them exercising their right as a retailer. I wish they would have also exercised their right as a retailer to say we're suspending all sales of firearms until something happens with gun legislation or uh, the government makes a move on something to try to prevent this sort of thing from happening in the future. Uh, they could do that, but uh, I'm assuming they make a lot more selling guns than they do selling video games. So I think that's a pretty fair guess. So uh, so I don't really have a problem with Walmart doing it. Obviously, if they'd pulled the games, I might have had 
more of an issue with it, but they didn't. So that ended up not being true. Uh, but these are the sort of, you know, ramifications we have in, in this world we're living in. And um, besides the Walmart thing, we also had, I'm going to switch over to this as part of the same story here, ESPN delays Apex Legends tournament highlights out of respect following mass shootings. This weekend's planned airing of the EXP Apex Legends Invitational at X Games Tournament on ESPN2 has been postponed by the network, quote, out of respect for the victims and all those impacted in the immediate aftermath of the shootings, end quote. The broadcast is meant to show highlights from the Apex Legends Tournament that was held at X Games in Minneapolis on August 2nd. Originally scheduled to air on ESPN2 last weekend, the show has been postponed for two months. The news broke overnight when esports reporter Rod Breslaw tweeted a news tip from an ABC affiliate station. ESPN and ABC have made the decision not to air the TV broadcast of the X Games Apex Legends Invitational that was scheduled for this weekend in response to those recent mass shootings, according to an ABC affiliate station source. Um, while ESPN has not made an official statement, a source with knowledge of the network's plans who told Kotaku that the broadcast will now air on ESPN2 on Sunday, October 6th, and Sunday, October 27th, the news comes following a, a similar move by retailer Walmart, which we just talked about, which was pulled, which has pulled in-store advertising and displays for games that contain violent themes or aggressive behavior. Following this weekend's shooting near a store in El Paso, Texas, the stores will still sell guns. Both articles made sure to note that. Um, so, so that's another ramification of this, right? So because of the shooting, which, again, this was supposed to air on August 2nd, and when did the shootings take place? It was, was that, cause it was, was it uh last, would have been the fourth or was it already the 28th of July? Gosh, I don't remember. God, that's terrible. Um, yeah, it was, it was the weekend before. So how did they, wait a minute. I thought, okay, now I'm a little confused because it was supposed to air. Oh no, I'm sorry. The tournament was held on August 2nd. My apologies. They were going to air it. I don't know when they were going to air it originally. Oh, uh, August 11th. So it was supposed to air last Sunday, which was a week after it happened. So, okay, that makes more sense then. So the Invitational started on August 2nd. It was going to air August 11th, but that was one week to the day after the shooting, so they decided to postpone it. Um, again, I don't really have a problem with that, except that feeds the narrative somehow that these violent video games are somehow related. And I think that's what, what bums me out about it. Same with the Walmart thing. That, that does bother me in that regard. Um, but I understand that these companies can do that. And there is a sensitivity issue because look at what happens sometimes when someone covers a story like this and they don't demonetize their video and then they get harassed a bunch because they're trying to profit off of a, off of a tragedy. You know, someone would go into Walmart and be like, you're trying to profit off of the shooting and guns and the violence and everything. And like, well, well, no, I mean, I had these up before it happened, you know, but you can't explain that. You can't really get to that point. And so it, it does really suck. And, and I also remember, too, it's similar in the vein of this happened a few years ago in Japan after they had the huge earthquakes. And when people died, there's actually a game that was going to be released called Disaster Report 4. And you literally are trying to survive a huge disaster like an earthquake or a tsunami. And you're trying to escape through the city and, and get away. And so they even postponed that game. And that's been like two years, I think. I see it's finally coming stateside now. So it is something that happens pretty regularly. You know, if something happens, it's bad media and companies try to be more sensitive to that. But when you don't air a shooting tournament, which or, or like a, an FPS tournament, which 
I mean, let's get real. Apex is so cartoony and over the top and there's special abilities and so sci-fi. It'd be like if all of a sudden Netflix was like, well, we're not going to put any of our violent, we're going to take off all of our violent shows and we're going to take, like we still consume this media because Netflix knows that it's violent shows aren't causing violent behavior in people. And so that's the only thing that worries me a little bit is it's almost like they're conceding the fact that yes, these video games had something to do with it. And that's what I don't like, but it is a private company. It is their prerogative to try to be sensitive. So I, and I understand trying to be sensitive for people. Um, on the flip side of that, I also understand that the argument that these violent imagery is what's causing this or would somehow offend somebody. It, you know, I could understand, especially if it was the Texas Walmarts, I could understand that, especially the ones in that area. That store's probably still closed if I had to guess though, but like any stores around the area took them all down for that community. I could see that, but like me, I'm not going to go into Walmart and be offended when I see a, a violent poster or like an action, an action game or a shooting game poster. I'm not going to be offended by that when something like that happened in Texas. Again, if it happened here and you start to see all that gun imagery everywhere and you know, maybe, but even that I don't think would bother me because it, I know that they're not connected. And I guess that's, um, I guess that's my point there. So, um, but, but an interesting, you know, this is the sort of things that are happening. You know, unfortunately this is happening but we haven't really seen anything happen. You know, when uh, last year, when one of the mass shootings happened, um, Dick's Sporting Goods stopped carrying guns altogether. They took a huge hit on their bottom line. They took huge negative backlash or huge backlash from potential customers, people saying they'll never shop there because they're going to stop carrying guns. But they did that. They made that decision. You know, Walmart could have made that decision along with the decision to stop the imagery, but they didn't. They chose just the video games as where they went to attack. And, so did ESPN. All right. So that is it for the stories today. That's it for the articles. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That really sucks. I don't, I don't know where we're going to go from here with, uh, with this violent, the violent video game thing. Um, it's just, Oh, 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 I, I did some, I opened a game. I didn't mean to open. <laughs> okay. I was going to, I was about to start blasting you guys with, weird music. Um, okay. So with that being said, let's get to the, let's get to the segments of the week. So first up we have our game of the week. Maybe. <laughs> okay. So no desktop audio. This, this is live, live TV, everybody. Hmm. Is that from this one? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. Whatever. <laughs> Every week it's a friggin' debacle. <laughs> okay. Our game of the week today, this week, we're going to be talking about Life Force for the NES. I love this game. Um, known in other parts of the world as Salamander. Uh, it is, uh, I guess, a shmup, if you don't mind using that term. It's short for shoot 'em up You're in a spaceship. Uh, it is... Uh, the level design's really cool in this, actually. There's there's kind of a healthy mix of space, uh, weird brain-looky brain knobs, rocks. You're inside of, like, temples, like Egyptian temples. There's fire. Really good. Super difficult. It's a Konami game. Uh, it's essentially is the sequel to Gradius. 
I think, technically. Um, but it was really fun. Uh, it, it, and obviously, it could be two-player. Uh, it is really hard, though. You know, it's that typical old-school hard. Um, but it's a shmup. Really good. Uh, Life Force on the NES. Hard but fun. Hard but fair. Alright. Is that music really stupid? I feel like... I feel like the music playing the whole time is stupid. Like, I should just come up with a soundbite that I play, and it's like, pickups of the week. And then I just talk about it, as opposed to trying to have, like, music playing the whole time. Maybe I'll put some work into it. We'll see. That said, we're sticking to what we got. It's our game pickups of the week. Oh, boy. Now, you ready for this? Because this is, this is going to be a while here. Um, okay. So first up, okay, so I have to say, this is Import Palooza. I'm blowing up the imports at this time. So we have, uh, I got a copy of R-Type Dimensions EX. I got a physical PS4 that came from Strictly Limited Games out of Germany. Um, on Play Asia, I picked up a few games. One of them was the Ninja Saviors, Return of the Warriors, which actually I believe Strictly Limited's also getting this. But I bought the Korean English version, Um before I knew it was coming to Strictly Limited. What are you going to do? Uh, I got a copy of Lichtspear. That was from Hard Copy Games. Um, I got my copy of Death Road to Canada from PlayAsia. That's an awesome PS4 game. It's, I think it's on Switch now too. But it, Death Road to Canada is super fun. It's like multiplayer. It's just super cute pixels and then zombies and blowing stuff up. And it has a tinge of... It has a tinge of... Uh, of uh, Oregon Trail, where like random things happen to you while you're driving on the road, and you have to make decisions on what you're gonna do. Uh, now they released this digitally in the U.S., but not physically. But I picked up the Phoenix Wright collection. Uh, this one, uh, the version I got is unfortunately only in Japanese because that's the only place they released it. So I bought the digital so I could play it. But I like Phoenix Wright a lot. So, um, so carrying on, I got on this weird kick where I was just looking up. There's a there's a website called Solaris Japan. That I will oftentimes go looking for, um, that's annoying having the music that way. Um, normally what I do is I play the music very quiet on my speakers and then OBS picks it up for the stream, but it's not happening now. So basically I had to have it loud enough so that you could hear the sound and it's really, really annoying to me to have it that loud because I can't hear myself talk. So, all right, music's off. So anyway, I had this, there's a website called Solaris Japan. Dot com and they just do used Japanese video games, mostly modern stuff, so PSP, PS2, and up. Uh, great place to look for it, but sometimes they're more expensive than eBay, but I wanted to get something off of there, so I started digging through their whole site looking for cool stuff, and then you compare it and match with, with eBay, and you're like, okay, well, eBay, I can get this cheaper um, than, than you can on your site, yada, yada, back and forth. So I did that, and I, I bought a few things. Uh, so I got a copy of Tales of Destiny 2 for PSP. Uh, Tales of Destiny 2 is fantastic. Um, I think, is this the one that was technically our Tales of Destiny 2? I can't remember because they, yeah, I think so. But anyway, um, there's a PSP version of that. That's really cool. Um, I picked up a PS2 horror game called Hungry Ghosts. Uh, this looks amazing. <laughs> it's like a first person. It almost reminds me of Kingsfield, but it's not. Uh, then I picked up. Oh, what the hell is uh, zo the zombie versus ambulance? And basically, it's it's literally what it sounds like for PS2. You're driving an ambulance around, and uh, you're killing zombies. It's fantastic. I got a Switch game called Hell Warders, which looks pretty cool. It kind of reminds me of like a 
it's co-op with four players. Kind of looks like a Diablo almost, or like a hack and slash RPG. It it looks almost like Dark Souls armor wise, but I'm smart enough to know that it's not like Dark Souls. Uh, but it's called Hell Warders. That looks pretty cool. And then lastly, this is this is probably the most unique thing I picked up. I thought it was really cool. So I picked up Super Adventure Rockman. This is on PS1. So Rockman in Japan is Mega Man, if you don't know. That's why, by the way, it's Mega Man and bass, not Mega Man and bass. It's bass, Rockman, guitar, rock music, Rockman, bass. Okay, got it? All right, good. Super Adventure Rockman is actually like a, a game very similar to Dragon's Lair, but takes place in the Mega Man universe. So you've got these beautiful animated cutscenes where things are happening, and you have to click on the screen like left or right and then there's sometimes where it's like when you fight a boss you do have to move a cursor around and actually shoot but it's very much like dragon's lair or space ace that style of game but in the Mega Man universe with a completely animated Mega Man cartoon that you're interacting with very cool very very cool i can't play it; it's all in japanese but maybe i'll find an english dubbed or not an english subbed version of the rom or something and play through that sometime but so that is my pile of pickups it is, uh, it is massive today. It's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 games this week. Um, so let me take a look. So we have a listener question today. All right. So a listener question today. What game would you like to see receive the Resident Evil 2 upgrade treatment? I personally would love to see either Silent Hill 2 or 3. And no, you're not allowed to pick Metal Gear titles. <laughs> well, this person knows me very well. <laughs> because I would have picked a Metal Gear title. I would have picked Metal Gear Metal Gear 1, the original Metal Gear 1. So I'm st- I'm going to break the rules and that's what I'm going to say. Like if you put Metal Gear 1 and 2 remade it in like the Fox engine, uh not Metal Gear Solid 1, Metal Gear 1, the original like NES 1 or um the uh uh MSX version. Um okay. So if I can't pick that though, I think first of all Silent Hill uh, one, two, or three are all great choices. Uh, I, I think that would be good. Um, a total remake, though. That, that is tough because you have to pick pretty much a PS1 game or a PS2 game because anything beyond that already looks pretty good. So if I was going to pick a P- You know what? I you know what, let's, let's go on a limb here. One, I'm going to say Kingsfield because I was just talking about that earlier. Kingsfield or D. So if you've never played the game D... It, I played it on PS1. It's also on Saturn and 3DO and, and PC. But D was a game similar to Myst, where you walk around like it's got pre-rendered backgrounds and you just kind of move like screen by screen. But it was this really creepy adventure where you, like, you're you're playing as a as a girl and you go to this hospital and then you're transported to this castle and it's like it's it's basically like Dracula and vampires in this mystical castle and it's it's super cool, very dark, very creepy, very scary, very moody. And again, this was when I was playing it when I was like 12. Um, but it was super cool. So I would say, uh, Kingsfield or D would be my, uh, would be my choices for that. Um, and so that's it, everybody. That's the podcast for today. Thank you as always for listening and watching. Uh, if you are listening to this on SoundCloud, you can subscribe on iTunes. I'm also trying to bring this thing to Spotify. So hopefully I'll get that figured out today. Um, but you can uh, subscribe on iTunes. Just search for game talk radio. That's the name of the podcast. Or if you haven't, and you want to subscribe to us on YouTube, we are at youtube.com slash drop rate. That's the YouTube channel I do with Jeremy and Jordan. The three of us are collectively the drop rate. And of course, every Monday night at 7 PM central time, we stream our Dropcast, which is the three person podcast we do for the drop rate channel. Uh, and that is you, that is twitch.tv slash the drop rate. 
So definitely come and check us out. It is uh, it's a banging good time. Um, that's what I actually say is Greg after dark. Uh, I don't really keep it PG like I try to do here. Uh, I definitely, definitely unload. And usually it's after a day of work too. So I'm kind of tired and I'm just kind of like, you know what? And I have some caffeine. So I get a little loose. I'm like, you know, here are my thoughts on things. And I drop a few F-bombs and it's great. But thank you everybody's always listening and watching. You can follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg. You can, my, my DMs are open. You can shoot me a DM. With your listener questions, I would love to have more questions uh, to ask maybe a, a few during the week. Uh, usually I get one or two, uh, but I'd love to have more, and I can always bank them, so hit me up anytime. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. I hope everyone has a good time. Take it easy. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good day. Bye-bye.